Well, we're in Jonah, and I've gone through chapters 1, 2, and we'll finish in 3. We're three sermons in 3. This will be uh, the third sermon in chapter 3, involving chapter 3 in some way. Let's just uh, read the hear the whole of it, and then focus on the the last verse. Uh, This, dear people, is God's word. And so it is important, extremely important to us. Let us hear it. Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, he laid his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them and did it not. May God bless this portion of his word. Lord Jesus, we do ask you to bless this portion of the word to our hearts and minds that we would be the better after hearing it read and preached upon. For this we ask the thankfulness and gratitude for so great a salvation as has been given to us in your name. Amen. Well, as I said, my my focus this morning will be on verse 10. God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them, and he did it not. And the real, my kind of a laser focus, if you will, is on that that phrase, and God repented of the evil. I, I'm sure most of us, if not every single one of us, young and old, understand that that is a a challenging thing to understand. God repenting. God changing his mind 
How is that possible? What compounds the problem or magnifies the problem is that this is not the only place in Scripture where we find God repenting. I'm just going to list for you some scriptures in which this idea is found. Genesis 6, verses 6 and 7, Exodus 32, 14, Deuteronomy 32, 36, Judges 2, 18, 1 Samuel 15, 11, 35, 2 Samuel 24, 16, 1 Chronicles 21, 15, Psalm 90, 13, 106, 45, 135, 14, Jeremiah 18, 8, 10, 13, 26, 3, 19, 42, 10, Joel 2, 13, 14, and Amos 7, 3, and 6. Check it out. I could give you that list later on. I know I just went through it. But all these scriptures have God repenting, talking about his repentance. What challenges this in the word of God is are other scriptures that say he doesn't do this. Just to give you three examples, Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Had he not said, and shall he not do? Has he not spoken, and shall he not make it good? Romans 1.29, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And Malachi 3.6 I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So, especially Numbers and Malachi, challenge the idea that God repents, that God changes. God does not change, he's not a man, he does not repent. So what have we? I want to give you three ideas. The first is totally obnoxious, and Christians, true Christians, reject it out of hand. The next two, not so much. And then I'm going to add a little nuance to the third one. So this is more an intellectual kind of exercise I'm not going to be yelling and screaming at anyone today. Although, maybe, you never know. But the first idea it comes from what is called open theism. Terrible heresy. Open theism has an easy suggestion, though, how we can understand God's repentance. Modern the, uh, theological movement uh, called open theism teaches that God does change and changes in response to our actions. So what the open theist is saying is that God evolves. God is learning. God responds to our actions in kind. So he changes his ideas, he changes his plans, he changes his response based on our action. That is obnoxious. 
That is simply not true. It, and it flies in the face of like Malachi who just said, God says, I do not change. God is unchanging. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't want to go down that uh, road. It leads to destruction. But then there's the other, an next view, which many evangelicals and even reformed people, you know, evangelicals of Broadcamp, Baptists, Presbyterians, you know, Orthodox and all that. Uh, evangelicals talk about there are contradictions uh, in the Bible. Uh, they call them, some call them... <laughs> Antinomies, not antimonies, antinomies, which means just, you know, oppositions. Things that uh, are opposite. Things that seem like they contradict. They may not actually contradict, if you understood the whole picture, as God does, but they seem to contradict. And there are a lot of people that take that idea. The problem with that idea and I've always had a problem with it, even though it's been, you know, Reformed people have said it. <coughs> Antinomies. That there are seeming contradictions in the Bible. A problem with that is as I studied my theology, and I love theology, like, kind of was into philosophy, my minor was philosophy in college, but when I became saved, I quickly jumped over to theology, sort of a hop, skip, and jump. From philosophy, but one of the things that I understand about the unchangeableness of God is that uh, the doctrine or the, the theological concept of simplicity, not simplistic God, it is the simplicity of God that He does not change, He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. It is simply the fact that God cannot change if he is to be God. There can be no change whatsoever. That's the doctrine of simplicity. And so this idea of contradiction or seeming contradiction seems to fly in the face of the, the clear announcement in the Bible that he doesn't change. Matthew Henry says uh, there are conditions. Uh, threatenings are conditions. Unless you do this, Unless you repent, you will not be saved. Uh, the promises of God are conditioned if they endure to the end. If you persevere to the end, you will be saved. But conditional statements such as these also mismanage a correct understanding of what God is doing in our lives. And in, and in our salvation. And so, in order to understand this verse 10, verses like it, but that God repented of the evil, 
changed his mind? No. The foundation for to begin to understand this is to note well, according to the scripture, according to theologians, commentators, and all kinds of people, God, the unchangeableness of God, unchangeability. You have to have that as a, as a ground for understanding something like this. God does not change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his plan. He didn't go from plan A to plan B when Adam and Eve were in the garden in paradise, plan A, and they were going to live forever. But then they fell because of the temptation of the evil one, and he went to plan B. You know, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No, he didn't change his mind. It was always in his plan. Man could not save himself. Man could not ascend to eternal life, to heaven, without Jesus Christ. That was always his plan. So we need to establish that first. Because if God can change, then he's kind of like us. And the scripture clearly says God is not a man. God is not like us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He is not a human being bigger. Or some kind of alien with the same DNA or similar DNA, but better. doesn't work that way. That's what unbelievers think, that God is like like them. That's what a lot of Christians think, that God is like them. That God is like me. That God is a man. After all, we're created in his image and likeness, right? No, that's not a proper understanding of that, but I don't want to get off track. <clears throat> if God can change, if God is, is a, like us in that way, then where's assurance? What's that to do assurance of salvation? God could change his mind. For this reason or for that reason, right? We do. We change our minds all the time. Because of circumstance, situation, whatever. Well, maybe God could change his mind if he can, if he can change. What about his, his, his love for me? He might love me at one time and then not love me at another time. And so, you know, as some, or some commentators said, it's like a little girl getting the daisy in her hand and picking the petals. He loves me, loves me not. God can change. If God can change his mind towards you and me. And then what about the Spirit's work in us, the will and do of God, good pleasure, the work in us to regenerate us and give us everlasting life, being born again, born anew by the Spirit. If God changes his mind towards us, then that work is in vain. And some people. So that's a second idea. The first is open theism, no good. The second is many evangelicals and and uh, Christians in general uh, take up as there are contradictions or apparent contradictions in the Bible. Uh, of course, we don't understand everything. There's kind of, there's conditions in the Bible, like Matthew Henry points out. Well, God uh, presents his salvation conditionally. If 
then. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. The third position, one which I and many in not only the reform camp, but many evangelicals as well, uh, take up as uh, it's Calvin's position and the reformers. And I have a a quote here, but it's it's long, and uh, you know the the way it's written, it's it's probably difficult to to follow. So I'll just say it in my own words, which are not as eloquent as Calvin's. Uh, but God, uh, you've heard of anthropomorphisms, as, uh, ascribing human characteristics to God. In order for God to communicate to us, he condescends, he lowers himself, and speaks anthropomorphically. He speaks as if, you know, he's speaking to a human audience. And he speaks in our language. You know, we do have conditions. We do speak like that. We do respond to... uh, threats and promises and things like that. And so God speaking in anthropomorphically says in verse 10, God saw their works. In other words, he's communicating kind of on a human level, human to human, man to man. And I saw their works that they turned from their evil ways and I repented. I, 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 I changed. I didn't carry out what I intended to do. Not that I ever really intended to do that. But speaking kind of man to man, human to human, I saw their work, they changed their way, and I repented. I changed from destroying them to saving them. It makes sense, but it's, with all due respect to Calvin, it still begs the question, is God contradicting himself in a way then? You know, in order to condescend, to, to appeal to our human understanding, our human nature, he kind of lies a little now, Calvin wasn't saying that. But it does beg the question, if, if he's speaking that way, it sounds as if he is changed his mind. So, there are some tweaks we want to make to Calvin's position in order to get to a firmer understanding of what this verse is saying, and other verses like it, but particularly this one in Jonah. Chapter 3, verse 10. God saw their works, they turned their, from their evil, God repented of the evil that he had said he would do to them. I am going to, for 40 days, I'm going to destroy you. But he didn't. So he told Jonah to preach 40 days and you will be destroyed. And he didn't. 
So, first, and this is pointed out by commentators, in the articles I've been reading, commentators as well, that, uh, you know, we, we have to understand that sometimes we ask questions to which there is not an answer given in the Word of God. Calvin said we can only go so far as God has revealed to us the answer in the Bible. Beyond that, we cannot go. So he doesn't tell us, for example, when and where the elect are. That, so we can go to them. So we can go to the chosen. He doesn't give us their names. He doesn't reveal to us that. We can't ask, is this people elect or that? We just have to go and do what he said, preaching the gospel of the kingdom to every creature under the sun. That's our commission. That's what we ought to do. We're not to determine. There are, there are certain questions asked that we can't, we're not given the answer to, or that we cannot completely understand. Because God is also incomprehensible. And this idea of God repenting is, is touching upon the incomprehensibility of God. We cannot fully appreciate because we don't have the whole tapestry in view, the whole picture. We can't fully appreciate and understand and comprehend what God is saying when he says he repented. I'm not saying we can't understand it better. And the two positions I told you before, especially the evangelical position about contradictions, does not understand it, does not help understand it better. I have a better way. Calvin, pointing out the anthropomorphic nature and communication, is beginning to touch upon the better choice, the better way to understand a scripture like this. I'm telling you, this is chock full. Just this. God repented. is like, what? Whoa! You know? But it says in the Bible that he doesn't change. It says in the Bible he's not a man. He doesn't repent. I mean, this contradict. Wait a minute. God doesn't contradict. James and Peter point that out in their, in their epistles. The simplicity of God. He doesn't change. He's eternally the same. So it, 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 it kind of shocks the mind into thinking. So that's the first thing that we want to point out, that we can only ask questions and receive answers from the Scriptures, and we can't go any further than that. We don't want to speculate about God. Also, he's incomprehensible, so there is a touch of that here when God says, God repented, we don't have the whole picture. I like what uh, Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, not the uh, some character in the movie, but uh, Chrysostom was a, a church father, and 
He's the one that said at a funeral for a Christian, we ought to rejoice in a way. We ought to rejoice because their future, their position now is one of celebration. We may feel sad because we miss them, but they are glad beyond words. Chrysostom pointed that out, paraphrasing. Well, Chrysostom talks about this, and I just want to want to quote here from him. <clears throat> Men threaten punishment and inflict it. Not so God. But contrarywise, he both predicts and delays and terrifies with words and leaves nothing undone that he may not bring what he threatens. So he did with the Ninevites. He bends his bow. He brandishes his sword. He prepares his spear and inflicts not the blow. Were not the prophet's words bow and spear and sharp sword when he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed? But he discharged not the shaft, for it was prepared not to be shot, but to be laid up. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. But God repented. Did God change his mind? No. And here's why. Remember what Jesus said that Jonah was? In his day and to the people of Jesus' day, he was to the Ninevites, he was to the people of Jesus' day, and he is to us. Jonah was a sign, right? You will not get any sign in this day and age except, and that includes us, a wicked and adulterous generation seek after some sign or wonder or miracle or whatever. You will not get it, he says, except the sign of Jonah. Now that is going to help us understand what God, how God repented. The sign of Jonah. Think about this. What was the message that he gave the Ninevites, God gave to the Ninevites through Jonah. Two things. He said, this, was, this is the message, a message of judgment that in 40 days this city will be destroyed. And he also gave a message at the same time of mercy. Because they understood through the sign of Jonah, the example of Jonah, that Jonah was being punished, was, was punished, right, because he was going the opposite way, the sea rose up, the storm was tearing apart the ship, they throw him overboard, he gets caught up uh, in, uh, in the fish's belly, and he's been brought down to the bottom of the sea, and there Jonah finds repentance after three days and nights in the belly of the fish. And then he's taken to Nineveh and, and spewed upon the land. The Ninevites understood that. They understood that God judges because of sin and rebellion. But he's also merciful because of repentance. And so both those messages, the message of judgment and the message of mercy, are found 
through the prophet Jonah, the sign of Jonah. By his word and by his example, the Ninevites get the message that repentance finds the mercy of God. And so God was not just telling them that I am going to destroy you. He's telling them that I'm also going to save you like I saved Jonah. And the difference is between those who are saved, like Jonah, and those who are not, is those who repent. And most of the Nineveh repented, some that did not. The message is the same. If you do not repent, you're going to be judged. If you repent, you're going to be saved. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, the, the, in, at core, the gospel of Jesus. That is what we are to say. We are to testify and we are to preach. That you are under the judgment of God because of your sin. You will go to hell. You will be damned forever. But if you repent and believe and embrace Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity in the presence of God, perfected with angels. That is the gospel. That's always been the gospel. It's back then in Jonah's days, there's judgment on the one and there's salvation on the other. And that is the gospel today, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's judgment on one side and there's salvation on the other. And the difference... What makes a difference is repentance. Now, put, let's just put this all together and talk about God repented of the evil and bring back Calvin and the reformers' idea of anthropomorphism. God speaking to us on our human level. This is what happens. God has a purpose to save a people through the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is that you will be damned if you don't believe and saved if you do believe and repent of your sin. That's the message, right? That's the way it works. And it's the message to everyone. God condescends and shows us how repentance works. He gives us, remember, repentance is a grace. I should have had us read the shorter catechism. Repentance is a grace, along with faith. Repentance is a grace. He gives us the grace of repentance. He puts the Spirit in us and gives us the power to believe and the power to repent of our sin. The gospel comes along then. When the Spirit has regenerated your heart, the gospel comes along and ignites that gift. Like a match brings the flame. It ignites that gift of repentance that the Spirit is given, uh, that the Spirit gives you, that's working in you to will and to do of God's good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure that the gospel, the word of salvation comes to you and it ignites the flame of repentance within you. The point is, brothers and sisters, that God is showing us how his grace of repentance works by saying this, something like this. God repented of the evil that he said he would do, and he did it not. 
because they repented, because they were given the grace of repentance and it changed them. You see, it's not God that changed his mind. It's God showing us what repentance does to change our minds. So we are being changed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, more and more into what God is like. God is changeless. Right? He, he doesn't change. He's changeless. He does, he's unchangeable. But we change all the time. And God gives us the gift of repentance. It's his gift. It's his repentance to show us how he wills and works within us to do his will. Again, he doesn't change. We are the ones that are changed and being changed through faith and repentance. And that's my understanding, not just mine, but others' understanding. The better understanding of a verse like this. God repented of the evil. He comes down... He shows us how his gift works by changing us to be more like him. Let us pray. Heavenly Lord, uh, there is a quote in scripture that we should probably use at the end of this, for it speaks to everything that has just been said. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who had first given to him, and it shall be recompensed. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. And may we all, God's people, say, Amen.